0: All right, I am now joined by the great David Griscom, um, one of uh, one of my favorite podcasters and favorite people. How are you doing, David? I'm
1: doing pretty good, brother. Man, it's always great to talk.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Says um, a uh, my life is very rich in Texans right now. Since uh, as we're doing <laughs> this, my uh, mother in law is in the other room. She's been in for a few days. Oh, nice. Uh, well.
1: I'll tell you, you know, I don't know if you've seen, but we have been on a boil water notice here in Austin. Oh yeah. So, been drinking a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm
1: like an old like European peasant, you know. Right. <laughs> the only thing that's safe to drink.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yep. I actually, just uh, just poured a drink since I just finished exercising like two minutes ago. Nice. So, um. Gonna uh get a start up on dinner uh pretty uh pretty soon. I'm actually uh making chili rianos tonight, so the peppers are boiled, just uh you know, just have to uh you know still have to peel them and all you know, there are like twenty more steps, but whatever. So um <laughs> but meanwhile could have a drink and uh talk a little about socialism. Uh anybody's good. Yeah, anybody who uh, who wants to, to get in the queue, just go ahead and do that. We can start taking calls pretty quickly. But um, I guess we can start off with a little bit of uh, what's in, on my mind right now. I actually just finished writing an article about this, and we can get your thoughts about it, which is basically two things happened last week that I think literally the stories were on back-to-back days, and it was a little bit too perfect in terms of seeing like, what the American system is uh, mm-hmm. that on the one hand um, on like the, uh, the second, I think um, so like last uh, you know, whatever that'd be last Wednesday, there was a story about um, the uh, union busting lawyer who is on Biden's shortlist to uh, fill the Supreme court vacancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, And I I thought it was particularly amazing because uh, the Andrew McCarthy, the uh, White House spokesman, his defense of the fact that she was like one of the top contenders they were considering is that she was the first black woman to, you know, she was like one of the first black women to be like a partner at a major South Carolina law firm. So, you know, she might be, you know, she might be a union buster, but she's one of the first black women to achieve this position within union (laughs) (laughs) buster. And then, uh, and then the next one, uh, and then the day after that, on the populist right, uh, you know. So we always hear Marco Rubio came out with, uh, you know, with his big pro-worker policy uh, policy agenda. Do you see this? No, I didn't. Okay, this is amazing. So, you know, I, I like don't look this up while I'm saying it because I, I want to see if you can guess. So, okay. Um, so Marco Rubio, who's been, like, trying, like, crazy the last few years to, to like, reposition himself as, like, the big new right-wing populist, um, he introduced uh, this bill, you know, and, and did a press release about it that he said is, is his big thing that uh, to help workers, right? Because that's, that's what he's all about now. Um and it's it's full of like the, the press release is full of like right wing populist rhetoric, you know, that the you know like regular, you know, working man would rather talk about benefits than you gonna know, have to sit through a diversity workshop, blah, blah, blah. So I want you to guess. What's the actual policy?
1: Um act like on your benefits if
2: you do to to
0: omit yourself. <laughs> uh that's a good guess. Uh his um his, so it's called the Team Act, uh, and it is essentially what it would do would be to legalize company unions.
1: Jesus Christ! <laughs> you know, you know what's funny. I mean, obviously that's funny because um, that it's despicable and it shows how much of like a, a scam the right wing populism stuff is. So like this is this is like old stuff, ain't it? Like this is something that they were doing at the turn of the century, right? This is like that's the funniest thing about all these guys, right? Is like they're like, oh, we're the future. You know, we've seen so much over the past hundred years. Conservatism is evolving, but they're just going back to
2: like twentieth century, like Robert <laughs> and shit. That's amazing,
1: and I'm sure a lot of. I'm sure like there's like a lot of grassroots support for that too. That's the me <laughs> that I'm constantly hearing when I'm out at the bars here. People saying, I wish I could have a company um, employee management group or whatever the hell they call it. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, we have a couple of calls. Uh, first one is from Tom.
3: Hey so can you guys hear me? Yep. So uh, when you asked a question to a guest about Marco Rubio, I, I, honest to God, was literally saying to myself, probably some right-to-work bullshit. Like, it it had to be (laughs) something stupid and Orwellian like that. But company unions uh, does sound incredibly dystopian and awful and fucking terrible. Um, I guess I would just, in the short term, plug... There's this YouTube channel called Knowing Better, and he did a video semi- somewhat recently about company towns,
2: Now mm-hmm. they're
3: kind of like one of the worst instantiations of like American capitalism. So uh, if anybody feels like that, I found it like kind of informative. So uh, here's the other thing I am kind of wondering about. So I've been involved in, uh, I'll try to say this as quick as possible. I was involved in an effort to unionize a fairly large paving company in New York some years back. This was before I got even somewhat politically active. I didn't know shit about Marx or the left or anything <laughs> like that. Um, and, uh, you know, surprisingly, working in construction, I can't speak for other fields, but between the Teamsters and the laborers and the operating engineers, there are a lot of, like, right wing a lot of like very pro-Trump kind of union guys, and so shortly after that, uh, well, not shortly, recently, I read Thomas Frank's book on um, "The People Know." I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say read. I actually did the audio book. I don't have the patience. <laughs> <laughs> But I, mean,
0: I, I actually, I actually did too, and he seemed disappointed when I told him that when I interviewed him. <laughs> so.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to tell him I've been giving my money to Bezos and getting it on Audible, so, <laughs> so, um, and I guess the one thing that's kind of as I've become more politically aware, and, and I'm sure as you guys know, as you get older, you just run into different parts of society that are just all fucked up, you know, from top to bottom. Like right now, I'm going through it with, you know the education system with my son is just like totally inept and, and inefficient and all this other shit. And I'm sorry, I struggle to articulate myself. So what's up? Okay. So, yeah. So here's the thing. That's kind of the disconnect. I notice when I talk. I try not to, we're not really allowed to talk politics at work and I try not to talk it anyway, cause I'm not any good at, at making my argument. But when the conversation does come up, I notice that the people who should be kind of most in tune to, like, either left politics or labor labor struggles and stuff like that, they are kind of like. Maybe I just notice it more. It's I'm most surprised when they kind of uh, they kind of re- reiterate and regurgitate these very kind of like stereotypical, like, right wing platitudes. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a business owner, things like that. And this was something I noticed when we had our union. I promise I'm getting to a question. This is something I noticed we had when we had our unionization effort. We unionized, you know, the NLRB got involved. We had two competing uh, unions going up, vying for the election. It was the Laborers International, and then it was... a. Uh, the like asphalt Pavers Union or something like that out on Long Island. and we won the election. We won the, and I mean, and the company did all kinds of sleazy shit. I mean they changed, they demoted managers just so they could get in on the vote call and everything. and you know the, like the head manager, Alex was a total piece of shit. They turned him into like a traffic supervisor, which doesn't make any fucking sense in any context, but it allowed him to vote against us and we still won
2: now wow. it went
3: nowhere for the for basically the first several months the company refused to come to negotiations just through like the only temper tantrum just would not negotiate with the laborers international and then eventually little by little they either fired or laid all of us off like i got laid off on like some because it's you know paving the weather needs to be good a lot so mm-hmm. they you know they claimed that like the blizzards and the snow meant they couldn't keep me on. And I and eventually I just left the company and other guys got fired for stupid shit, you know, parking a truck and hitting the side of your mirror or something dumb. And, um, okay, so here, so I'm sorry. So when we got thrown under the bus, when the company found out that we were unionizing, it was one of the younger guys, Lewis, who did it. Now we would, what would eventually come out that we didn't know the whole time. We suspected, but didn't know Lewis and a lot of the other workers were undocumented and the company had essentially threatened them like very kind of like veiled, you know, under the table shit. One, we found out they were getting their overtime in cash, which we weren't allowed to do. And then two, we found out that they had been threatened essentially and told that, Oh, if the company unionizes, you'll lose your job. Bullshit. You know, the unions have all kinds of lawyers and stuff that help undocumented workers because it's construction. There's shit tons of undocumented workers. So despite all of that, like, I'll just cut to the question. Sorry. So despite all of that, what I've noticed is that in my experience, the working class does tend to buy into some very kind of like generic and stupid right-wing platitudes, even though, you would think they would be the most open to kind of leftist causes. And I'm wondering how exactly do we take back the whole concept of like labor and populism and like, you know, you like the salt of the earth kind of people Mm -hmm. that we're talking about. How do we take it back from the right, so to speak? And the corporate Dems and blah, blah, blah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, that was, that was, uh, I mean, that's a crazy story. And, you know, unfortunately it's like, that's across the board. I mean, the, I would just say, like, to your experience with like what the company was doing, you know, it's incredible um, the amount of stuff that companies can get away with that's illegal uh, when it comes to busting unions. I mean, I don't know if y'all saw today, but you know, the Starbucks uh, organizing committee in Memphis—they just fired the entire organizing committee for like BS things, like oh, you opened up the door after the the shop was closed,
2: Jesus. which you technically
1: you're not supposed to do, right? But they fired six people for like these really absurd. Um, things and five of the six of, of the central organizing committee were were fired today and the only one who wasn't fired didn't show up to work today so who knows maybe you know they'll, they'll clear it out i'm just like just saying like you know, the first bit about you know your question the uh you know it's crazy how much these companies can get away with and it's because you know even though these things are illegal like what is the punishment for a company for breaking the law uh, i mean like amazon cheated um in bessemer um, you know, when they had their union vote there and what, what ends up happening, it's like, OK, well, a year later, um, they have, you know, they were able to hold another union vote and, you know, solidarity and hope that it's successful this time. But like, you know, it's not a big threat to the company if you can basically like, you know, push the, you know, taint an election um, and then, you know, wait a year um, after like maybe some of the enthusiasm has died down to hold it again. Right. Um, you know, and, and I don't, the, the solution to that obviously has to be politics. Um, but it's just like it, it's just another reminder how hard it is to <laughs> to to build union power in this country. It's like, you know, there's the convincing workers and then there's the actual like legal structure and power structure of, of these companies that sort of makes it difficult. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, Ben, uh, you know, to the I mean, to the to the meat of the question, though, like yeah. how to re- reclaim like the salt of the earth stuff. I mean, <sighs> I, I want to hear what you, what you have to say. Like, I think there's, ta- there's two parts to that, okay. to, I think, dealing with that question, right? I
0: mm-hmm. think there's
1: the tactics, right, of how we do that. Um, and then I think there's, like, the self-reflection that the left needs to do, too. Because, like, okay, so obviously, like, a lot of these kind of platitudes, right-wing anti-union platitudes that you get from people, anti-solidarity platitudes that you get from people, are BS, and they're set up to weaken our collective power. But also, like, I'm sorry, if like in a world without unions, in a world without workers power, when those things don't seem possible to people, it is very reasonable to think, well, in life, you have to work out, you know, you have to look out for yourself, right? Like, it's It's like a reflection of the reality that people are sort of in that they sort of feel like they have to do everything on an individual level. And I think it's important to realize that even though that's like the wrong way to think about these things, um, you know, it does come from like a genuine place of sort of like not believing or seeing that like worker's power is something that's possible. And I think like the real challenge that we have is to make it just seem as reasonable to people that no, actually like collective power, like will get get the goods, right? Union power, will get the goods. Those will improve my life. I'm a member of this class and this will help, you know, will help me out and not help my neighbor out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but absent like seeing that in your life, I don't know, like it, it's not that absurd, I think. Um, you know, for people living in, in like the neoliberal hellscape um, that, that we're in, for people to have very individualist views. Does that make
2: sense?
3: It makes sense. Oh, are you asking me or Ben?
0: Well, no. Sh- yeah, you go, you go, Tom.
3: Okay, it, it, yeah, I definitely get what you're saying.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess all I'd add uh, is just to underlie the last part of what David is saying, um, which I think is really important about why it's not unreasonable, you know, for people to be very focused on the individual stuff. And then, and then also maybe go in just a little bit to the part about left self-reflection, because I think that it's, it is something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that a lot of the left ends up just getting like sucked into Whatever kind of culture war bullshit is going on, any any given week, right? Like whatever the news cycle is about, you know people people get obsessed with that, and it's you know the most important thing to them, you know, in the world, right? You know the um, you know everybody, you know everybody has a, has to have you know a take, you know on um, you know whether or not Whoopi Goldberg is problematic, and you know what what the you know whatever all this stuff, right? And and people. And I think that, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One of which is that there's, there's just so little left right now, right? You know, that like, Mm. uh, this is the point that Adolf Reno like is making when he says like there sort of isn't a left. There's like a something that we might say in retrospect that was the left, but like, you know, largely what are we talking about? Journalists, academics, um, you know, about a million podcasters, people, you know, like people who are like, you know, socialists who are like teamsters, activists or something those people exist, but like, it's a, it's a, the proportions are all wrong. Right. Mm Uh, and so I think that doesn't help because a lot of this stuff, like people get sucked into it because it's their world. And because it's, um, and because like, it's the strata of society they're in. Like, that's a lot like the sensibilities of that strata are a lot of what gets reflected in this stuff. And, you know, partially it's for good reasons too, because a lot of times you know, they're like, if the thing that like liberals and conservatives are fighting about is like, should trans people have rights, then like, yeah, it's entirely correct to side with the liberals about that. But at the same time, I, I think that a lot of people, I mean, this is going to be a really basic point, but I think it's true, like get sucked into a bubble where they just don't really register how a lot of this stuff sounds to other kinds of people. And, mm-hmm. and like a lot of this stuff too, it's, it's not, I don't want to overstate the case. It's not like they're, I think like any culture war thing, right. You know, you're going to get large numbers of ordinary people on all sides of it. Cause that's just how it works, right. It polarizes people. But like, that's kind of the point. Like, um, you know, we've been talking about defeats, but like just to bring up an actual success uh, recently uh, the, the John Deere strike um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that happened uh, a couple months ago, the, you know, like I saw one report on that, that, you know, that, that said that like 40% of those people had voted for Trump. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could have some like very bad views, but still like kind of get sucked in by like, Hey, I can kind of see that in an immediate way, this is going to make my life better. And that's, (laughs) you know, that's what I'm going to prioritize right now. In fact, I would argue that historically that's like the thing that's done best in terms of moving people away from um, you know, for bad views, is that like the sort of practice of being like working together with other kinds of people and and like having the kind of politics that you get when you get working class organization. Like probably does more to bring people around than just like talking about those those things do. And and I guess the other point I make about this is like if you look at the the polling. Data on some of this, you know, I mean, I know this isn't exactly what the caller was talking about, but I mean, it's just what it made me think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Dustin Guestella article in Jacobin from, wow, 2020. That's like two years ago already. Okay. Uh, seems like seems a lot more recent, but uh, the, uh, where he, he gets into this stuff. It's like in some ways we have really good news, like compared to like a lot of European countries, whatever like on, you know, immigration, gay rights, all kinds of things, right? Like the American working class and its majority is like, is actually starting from a place that's not that bad, right? By global standards. Mm -hmm. And so, so like, that's, that's great news. But also I think that, you know, it is possible to be, have correct socially progressive positions without being incredibly annoying about it, which is, I feel like the, the balancing act that a lot of people on the left, uh, you know, kind of, kind of lose right now. Right. So that'd be my, my main thought about that. The other thing I was just going to say is on the point about individual people prioritizing like individual, um, you know, what's going on with their individual life, which could then like, I think get them into some of the reactionary positions that are more what Tom was asking about the, you know, kind of, you know, God helps those who help themselves stuff. I, I, I guess I would just say like it, I think that, like, that's a manifestation of something that's a lot bigger. But it's like, why is, like, self-help so huge? right? Like, why is that such a giant industry? You know, why why are there, like, you know, why is every video about, like, you know, starting your own business and being your own boss mm-hmm. have, like, 20 million views? You're right? going you a robotic on
2: us, Ben,
1: or at least on me. Oh,
0: I, I think that it makes a lot of sense because that's what seems most realistic to most people right now.
1: I think that's exactly what I was saying is just, like, these things, like, you know, I think that sometimes Marxists get too worked up in this term, like, you know, like false consciousness, right? Oh, yeah. and like, and I like Tom's work, but I think he sort of gets into that too, especially with this book, "What's the Matter of Kansas?" And uh-huh. I think like the real Marxist position is instead of saying like, why are these people voting against their interests, it's like, why are they seeing this as their interests right now, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a better question to to ask. I mean, not again, the controversy, but like this trucker strike in Canada, right? Oh, Everything about it is just like, this is a right-wing grift And I think, you know, people are making the correct point that, um, you know, there is a, like, the picture that is being presented of just like a bunch of blue-collar truckers, um, you know, standing up is a little bit inaccurate. But you know what? There are people who are there who are of, of, of this class, right? And that doesn't mean necessarily that, like, what they're saying is correct about, you know, Trudeau and, and vaccines and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but what we should be asking ourselves is, as Marxists is just like, why are people seeing this as their interests right now? Rather than spending all of our time, you know, just debunking, saying, look, well, these guys aren't the real working class. Right. Um, it's more saying like, why is this attractive to people? Why is it this demand here? And I think that there's a, a very radical demand that we can that we can sort of pull out of it um, or at least appeal that we could make which is that, you know, in the absence of, like, any kind of, like, real significant policy on COVID, right, um, when, you know, governments, especially the United States and the Canadian government, have just completely failed, in my opinion, um, you know, from a from social policy level to take care of people, to make this okay for people, um, you know, it's, of course, it's, it's, you can understand how some people are just saying, like, well, we're just going to be the, like, stop doing anything group you know like yeah. we just want it to end right and i would say no you know we need to protect people and we need to make sure that we're you know we're, we're being smart about this but again like in the absence of any kind of real kind of like you know we're not even talking radical but just like basic social democratic promise to people in this pandemic um you know you, you could see where the right wing gets a lot of traction and i think so much of uh, us on the left is like we see okay well people are making a, a wrong calculation um, you know, we we feel that people are making a wrong calculation. So we're just going to, like, debunk them instead of trying to say, like, why is this speaking to some people? Right. Um, you know, and the, the point is, I think this is like a crossroads where a lot of people get really crazy um, and, and silly really quick, too. It's because you see that whole like anti-COVID left people. Right. <laughs> um, you know who just get worked up in conspiracy after conspiracy. Um, and they make the mistake of saying "Well, like, oh, well, because some people were saying this, or there, there is like some kind of genuine support against the, uh, you know, against the COVID restrictions and, and all that kind of stuff, right? That means that this is like the right policy. Um, that's incorrect, right? The, the correct analysis is saying, okay, why is this speaking to people? And what can we do with this energy to like build a, 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 you know, a political movement, right? I don't know, I mean, it's like, these are just the way that I think people need to start thinking about these these questions. Um, at, like, Marxists and socialists instead of, like, liberals, right? Because th- liberals, of course, are going to say, oh, yeah. this is a right-wing thing. So we're against it, right? And we don't have to be for it in the sense of, like, supporting what they're mm-hmm. saying or doing. But we should be able to analyze why these things are existing and, and use that to better our movements in the future, I think.
0: Yeah, totally. Like, I think you can make – I mean, again, you can make some correct points that people have made about how most truckers in Canada don't support it and all this stuff. But also say, okay, what about the ones who do? Uh, Like, uh, you know, why are they supporting, and how you how can you stop that from becoming a bigger number? Which was the point that I was making, like way the hell back, and like, um, (laughs) yeah, I remembered that, dude. You got so much trouble for that piece. (laughs) I know, right? Like, what was that? Like, you know, late March or April? You know, it's like April twenty twenty, and there were those like big anti lockdown protests in Michigan and other places. and and I wrote that article. You know, we can't just the left can't just dismiss the anti-lockdown protests. of Jacobin, and Jesus Christ, everybody. Um, yeah, there were like there were like five hundred people who were like angrily quote tweeting that. I had uh, uh, Matt Iglesias was like you know was, was like insinuating that I was a Nazi because like I'd, I'd written that you know and uh, which was hilarious because actually like in, like, 2021 sometime, he actually tweeted out one of my Jacobin articles, which I only know because people sent screenshots because he blocked me, you know, like, way <laughs> back, you know, like, during all that, but, like, um, but the point I was making in that article is just what you just said, right? That it's, like, look, do we need say home orders? Like, you know, I mean, God, especially back then, there's no vaccine, no anything, was, of course we do, right? But, like, also, there are people who, like, have, like, legitimate economic distress that's, like, leading them to support this stuff, and we need a better pro, you know, like we need to be front loading a program that speaks to that, uh, yeah. or else it's going to get, you know, bigger. Like that's which, which I honestly, I've got to say, I think the last couple of years, you know, that was not an unfounded I concern. I think you're right there. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's so I think that's, I think that's, yeah, I would mean, obviously I agree with that. But like also, um, and also, by the way, I point out that like people will bring up, like people who, you know, are very attached to the rhetoric of Marxism will bring up uh, that. Like oh, but see, a lot of them are actually these like you know self-employed small proprietors and stuff like that. It's like okay, sure. Yeah. Um. You also know that like every successful socialist movement in the history of the world has made like a huge effort to try to appeal to like a like a at least a big chunk of people like that, right? Like that. That's yeah. you know it's it's always like you know there's there's always like any kind of you know it's never like a hundred percent just people who are. You know, according to Hoyle, members of the working class, like like you know the Bolsheviks, whoever you want to talk about, right? They all made some kind of effort to, you know, reach out to sort of um, people who were you know who were suffering, who like could be seen as like okay, you could at least have some segment of these people, you know, who might ally with the working class. Um, but I, I also think like the connection you made about false consciousness is really important because look, you know, do people believe? like all sorts of like silly irrational things. Of course they do. I mean, human beings in general do. Um, but also I think the focus on that is, is really, is really bad. It's unnecessary. I think that it's like, and I think all the false consciousness stuff, I mean, beyond like the op- optics of it being terrible, right? It's like, Oh, you don't know what's yeah. good for you. We know what's good for you. Right? you know? <laughs> yeah. Like beyond that, like just analytically, it doesn't really make sense. You don't need that to explain what's supposed to explain. That's the point that Vivek uh, Chibber made to me last year, that, like, it's the um, – like, all of that stuff is just different ways of saying people are drinking the Kool-Aid. And the thing is, like, you actually don't need anybody drinking the Kool-Aid, really, to explain why there's no revolution or even why people don't, like, necessarily want to join a union drive. Like, because – like you could just say, like, look, there are like collective action problems here that like it's like the prisoner's dilemma, you know, that uh, mm-hmm. you know, everybody you know, everybody in the dilemma will be better off if, if if everybody sticks together, but like if they're not confident that's gonna happen, right, you know, then like the the rational self-interested thing is not is to is to cut a side deal. And I think a lot of life, you know, could be could be like that. I mean people have you know, and people have all sorts of like you know, also I would say like don't just pay attention to what people are saying, right? Pay attention to like what like fears or concerns they might be expressing when they say it. Right? Like yeah. and and I think that a lot of people like have legitimate like look, you know, what if we try to organize a union and it doesn't work and like I lose this job, I really need this job, or you know, like if, if we're or like whatever. I mean people it's like the whole, you know, when people you know, certain people on Twitter or whatever would say, you know, like the, um, you know, that uh, various Latin American leftist leaders, um, you know, shouldn't be like, shouldn't be celebrated or defended because they hadn't, like, expropriated the means of production. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. like, so you understand that, like, some tiny economically peripheral country taking that leap, like... Do you see any reason why anybody who's living there like might be hesitant about like what that might look like? Like that that's that's uh you know I mean it's like very easy to be an American in America and you know like in relative comfort and say oh yeah no you should you should do that right just just you know take on the world right be yeah. fine. you know? <laughs> you know I I think that there is yeah, a reason you know, like there's like, a yeah yep.
1: Oh no i was just gonna say um you know and, and i think I think you and i both agree on this. like we're not saying this to demoralize people we're just like you know we have to understand that like we have to build and change the conditions to make those things feel like more of a sure thing for folks right like that's like you know this is a line that i love so much from um sam gindon um who, who said you know you have to remember that socialists are like the like you know they are like the volunteer um you know part of, of the working class in the sense that like they're the people who are like doing extra to try to make things change, right? And we have to remember that it's, it's okay that we're pushing and we're trying to encourage people you know, to think about things um, differently. And our job is to make the conditions and to make the arguments. Um, but a lot of times people think we can just make the arguments without really changing the conditions. Um, you know, where people feel more comfortable and confident that, you know, joining a union or taking a more militant action is, is viable. And, you know, Lord, Lord, um, you know, Lord, give us this opportunity being in power and having people within, you know, with political power doing things like nationalizing industry. Like we have to, we have to be able to do both.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and I think that like maybe just, you know, just to say one last thing about this, I got to get, get to what I, I think was the core of the caller's question. Like, I think. Like when people say things that are like super reactionary ideologically, that you know, like oh, this is just like whatever, you know, this is fine, you know, everything mm-hmm. happens for a reason or whatever. It's like you know, it's like the or like whatever, the the boss right to do this, you know. Like again, I, I think that you got to separate like what people are saying from why they're saying it because it's not like I think if your whole analysis of why people say or think things like that is just that they're, like they're brainwashed. Right. Like you're going to really miss the boat because I I think that a lot of people, and I think this is true for like every system that's ever existed, that like a lot of people, like people on the bottom, people who are like really suffering, you know, because of the way that some system is set up like that ideology that tells them that this is just, this is how the world should be is that could actually be really appealing when you're in that situation. Because like, you know if it's that or like be really mad all the time right you know then like uh that like there's a there's some pull to that right like the good news is that all those previous systems don't exist anymore right so like it clearly mm-hmm. is possible to get past it but i think that i think exactly what you said right giving people some kind of hope is the important thing because the i mean like there is a reason like you were talking about starbucks earlier there is a reason that it was like one store in buffalo and now there are like 50 you know starbucks or however many it's up to now that are uh, filing for, you know, union, uh, union votes. Like it's, uh, I, I think that once people see that something else is possible, then it's no longer a choice between like rationalizing the way things are, or just being like impotently angry about it. It's a choice between those two and, you know, actually doing something that like might help you, you know, (laughs) which, uh, which then like, I think, you know, I mean, I think you're going to have at least a fighting chance of it. So, I mean, I think that you sort of have to, you know, put some points on the board, you know, if you're really going to chip away at the, at these, at these attitudes, you know, so, and, you know, and I, and I think we, I mean, I don't want to overhype it. Obviously the, the overall state, like the overall balance of forces is like God awful right now, but like, I mean, there have been a few wins lately, and and I think that it's. I mean, I'm really bothered when I see people who whose politics I basically like sort of dismissing it and being like, "Yeah, this is like, you know, that that might look good, but you know, it's it's probably not going to be successful, or there's, you know, we're not really, you know, like we're not really going to see a significant uptick in you know strikes or unionization or anything." And I always think like, okay, look, I mean, if you make predictions like, like, like if you're, you know, if you're betting that like the empire is going to win, then like you're never going to get go broke doing that, right? Like you'll, like you know, but like also, it's just, like, just sort of like making like really pessimistic predictions and then doing a victory lap when you're proven right is like the least <laughs> helpful way you could possibly like intervene in this stuff, like especially if you want to change the subject from, you know. <laughs> whatever, you know, Whoopi Goldberg and whatever this, this week's twist in the endless, you know, in the endless Joe Rogan discourse is or whatever. Like you want to change the subject from all of that to like economic inequality and, you know, and, and worker organizing and all that stuff. And like every time something happens, that's at all promising. I mean, I think you should really like, you know, imp- like I, I, I think you should – I th- I think like I'm happier to err on the side of hyping it up, let me put it that way. But um totally. I wanna hear you know, the first caller was so interesting, uh we we haven't gotten to the other one, so I want to hear from uh from Jack.
4: Hey, thanks for having me on. Um so I don't know if you got you, you were talking about um Biden's uh woke pick for uh the Supreme <laughs> Court union busting um lawyer. I don't know if you guys saw today that REI uh, a recreational uh, equipment company uh, had a
2: their, one of their
4: stores is unionizing in New York and they created a podcast, an anti-union podcast and an anti-union website but the uh, podcast host is sure to be, it's hosted by their chief diversity officer it's, you know, she
2: definitely
4: <laughs> says her pronouns in the beginning And she does a land acknowledgement. So you're seeing more and more (laughs) of this stuff. I I am not lying. You have to listen to it for, you see more and more of this stuff and more liberal language used to combat, uh, any kind of class project you see. Um, and it's just getting, it's getting absurd at this point, but I just want to also talk about two other things, uh, real fast. Um, the yeah. one thing is there okay. is a GoFundMe for the uh, Memphis workers who were fired, um, and I, I don't know if I could send that to somebody or uh, uh,
2: to, if,
0: so you, if you if you if you DM it to me on Twitter, I'll add it to the description for this episode.
4: Awesome. And uh, the other thing is, um, you know, I, I just wanted to bring up because uh, this is what I've been devoting my uh, my waking hours to. Uh, Paul Prescott, great union man in Philadelphia, yes. running for. Uh, state Senate. And uh, you know, he's I've known this guy since college. He's from the Jacobin show. He's uh done so much, like most impressive organizer I've ever worked with. So just wanted to bring him up and shout him out.
0: Yeah, I love Paul. I I yeah. have um I think he's been on GTA twice and I I interviewed him even before that with Adam on, on Dead Pundit Society when I was co hosting that. And I, yeah. I just, oh. I, oh, sorry, go. Oh no, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so I was just going to say before I threw to Griscom, or you know, you asked whatever else you could ask that the, um, so I have donated to to Paul's campaign, and I, I would urge other people to do so. Uh, but I also, I, I will say, like one one sign of like how much uh, some of what he said in those interviews has has like, you know worked its way under my skin or whatever that they have is uh you know for anybody who watched that debate I did last year with with Charlie Kirk, like I I managed to like stay like super cool like during like almost all of it. Like ninety seven percent of it, you know, like I was I was like very like level and he'd say something insane. And I'd be like, okay, well, you know, I don't think so. And you know, here's why, whatever. Uh but the one time I actually got mad was was when he was shitting on the post office. <laughs> yeah. And, uh,
4: that's Paul's big uh class.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh,
4: one more thing, if I can comment. Yeah. Um, uh, you guys were talking about, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to bring it up. But um, you guys were talking about workers with mixed consciousnesses. But my feeling is that there are more people like Joe Rogan out there than there are people like AOC. There's more people who you know have a mismatch of right and left views, and you know we can still reach them, and we can still win them over. I don't think like, I don't know why there's such a rush to say so many people are irredeemable or, or whatever yeah. these.
1: Oh, I mean, I think that, yeah. I mean, that's just such a negative um, habit. It just like like drop the politics for a second, like in life. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but in politics, it's even it's even worse. I mean, absolutely, and like, it's also like I don't know. Especially when it comes to, like, you know, culture war kind of politics stuff. Like, that stuff is literally – like, that stuff is supposed to be a minefield, um, you know, to get people to sort of expend, like, political energy on questions. I'm just saying, like, you know, <laughs> culture – like, the reason that that stuff is so flamed is because it's the kind of politics that um, – um, it doesn't last very long, but it takes up a lot of energy. If that makes sense, like it's hard to build like a, a political coalition around like culture war stuff in politics because most people hold just completely incoherent um, views and beliefs. Like I just think people in my family, you know, I grew up like I've you know I have a lot of gay family members, right? Um, and I had uncles who were like very, very adamantly, um, you know, pro gay when that was like a thing, you know. Um, but they all voted Republican. You know? um, you know, and it's it just like, you know, these two things weren't matching up um, for them. And like, I don't know, like the, the point is like you could take a lot of um, you could sort of build political coalitions around that um, in, in a way that doesn't really like in a way that like maybe attracts some people to your your movement. But I don't know. It's just like it's never very like solid. Um, the, the cultural politics. And I think that on the left, we have to be really careful of getting stuck into that stuff. Not that actually fighting for people's like civil rights sure. isn't an important thing. Um, but like yeah, the Joe Rogan thing that's going on right now, all this stuff is like, you know, it's most of that will disappear in a couple of weeks. Um, and I think getting really worked up about what side of these things people are on can be a big mistake. Um, I don't know
0: yeah no i mean i i agree co-sign absolutely everything that you just said um i and i and i do um so okay first of all yes like forget politics it is just terrible in life uh the um you know why i i mentioned at the at the top that uh you know that like my you know south texas mother-in-law is in the other room right now and i'll as as i'm talking and uh and I will, and I will say that she is a, uh, she is a Fox News fan and, uh, and she's very religious. Uh, I, I think, uh, um, I doubt that there's a complete sentence in any of my books that she agrees with. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we love each other. It's great, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like I, you know, like I, I get along with her great, you know, when, and it and it just, uh, it just seems like incredibly self-defeating if you're part of a movement that right now is, um, you know like is very much a minority of the population right like i mean that's that's just the reality of it that like not you know I mean you know most people aren't super right wing either which is which is good right you know, but like uh, we'd really be in trouble if they we were, but like you know but uh but the number of of people who like agree with us i mean even i mean even take out the more sort of radical long term horizons about capitalism like like even even short of that, right i mean that the majority of the population just does not line up perfectly right you know with uh, you know with what we want and so i think if you're in that position like being in this position like the most self defeating thing you could do is to isolate yourself from everybody who disagrees with you (laughs) (laughs) you know make make clear that make sure that they know that you think you're they're the enemy and you hate them and you know like that that's not i mean hate you know i mean look there are people you should hate but that's like you know you should hate jeff bezos right you know like like don't yeah. d- don't hate your republican mother-in-law you know like that's uh i don't i don't think that's a hard distinction to make uh and and i think um and i think the caller is absolutely right about the proportions because i also think that something that if you're like sort of engaged with political media all the time you know i'm in no mm-hmm. judgment whatever i am but like if you are um i think you start to forget that the vast majority of of human beings don't think about politics as much as we do and and they just yeah you
1: know and they just i mean i so agree with you and i mean i just want to say and like and and they don't know what some things mean and i don't mean that in like a, a rude way but it's like you know i was talking with somebody who i i um you know, I was talking to somebody who was going on about how much they like Tulsi Gabbard the other day, right? A, 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 a close, close friend, right? Um, and you realize it's like, you know, there's a part of me, especially because Michael Brooks hated Tulsi so much. Yeah. Uh, rightfully so, you know? Uh, yeah. You know, there's a part of me that, like, immediately wants to sort of get worked up. But then I ask them why. And it's like you realize, oh, they just like it because she's, like, anti-war, right? And we could talk about why that's all bullshit. Right. But that's all that that person was expressing, essentially, you know, and if I put the weight of Tulsi Gabbard and all of her shit on that person, that'd be a bad way to have a one to have a conversation. It's not going to convince anybody. Right. Because what they literally were trying to say, essentially, is that, like, I like this. I saw this person who's anti-war. It's in politics. Right. That's cool. Right. Um, and if I'm sitting there like, well, did you know Tulsi Gabbard is this, this, this and this and that, and like actually like fueled like anger towards that person, it'd be a big mistake because again, like they weren't saying anything, even though they were <sighs> defending Tulsi when I said Tulsi's trash, you know, um, you just realize it's like, we're not, we're not like operating from the same, you know, we, we don't know. We're not talking about the same thing essentially, right? You're talking about, you saw a politician who's anti-war. You thought that was good. I'm talking about Tulsi Gabbard, who's an absolute snake <laughs> and the, and uh you know, a dangerous person. And, um, I
0: don't know, like, no, I standing down. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I, and I think that like, I think it's also worth taking a long step back and, like, whatever. I think in Tulsi's case, I, I feel like she's, um, <laughs> you know, made it a lot clearer lately what she is. But like, I, I, I think, uh, in general though, I mean, like, it's also like, okay. I mean, if we're going to be like, if we're thinking about like the version of Tulsi a couple of years ago, I don't like her. I would certainly strenuously argue with anybody who actually like supported her in the yeah. uh, in the primary, right. You know, it's Bernie or whatever, but like, um, but like, was she having a more negative and positive effect in general? Like when she went on TV or whatever, like that's, that's not clear to me. And I, I also think that, yeah, like, as you say, I mean, like oftentimes I think if you can kind of like, I mean, it's probably, it's like just a better way to engage with people too. Right. Like if, mm-hmm. if it's, if Somebody says, Oh, I really like Tulsa Gabbard, uh, and like it's you know, and like the go to, and like whatever. I mean, I'm not like probably like if I wasn't expecting that, and I just heard that probably like she's trash would be the first words out of my mouth, too, you know, but like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, I think on reflection, right, like the better way to do it is like. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bernie guy, you know, not, not, not Tulsi, you know, like, like, there's some things I don't like about her, but you know, but, but I do, you know, like I do, like, 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 what's, what, what's the thing you like about her, right, you know, like, like yeah, exactly, you, can, you know, have more of a conversation, and I think that like, um, yeah, I mean, Michael and I wrote an article about, about Rogan in 2020, and I've got to say, like, um, so yeah, just, just over two years ago, uh, and. I've gotta say nothing that's happened since has really changed this my sort of fundamental view about that, which is that um, you know, I mean I don't want to everyman him too much because at this point, like he at this point he could like build like one of those Scrooge McDuck, you know, like like rooms of, of gold coins, you know, <laughs> like like I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, his experience is becoming less and less like most people's experience. But I think that like the core of his worldview is that he's just kind of confused. Right, like I mean, I don't yeah. think he, you know. I mean, like I, th- I think that's the most honest way to put it, right? I mean, like he has, um, you know, like he. I think a lot of times his sense of who's who's edgy or anti-establishment is like ridiculous. Like you know, like like if you look at his guest list and stuff, uh, and I think he has you know reactionary impulses sometimes, and and certainly sure. nothing nothing like our politics. But, like, also, I think that, like, sometimes he'll have, like, his kind of knee-jerk reactions to things will be, like, really positive and progressive. And, uh, you know, I, I think, like, some of the things that, like, this was always Michael's approach to him that, you know, he would always, like, he was always, like, look, what, what are we gaining from, like, talking up, like, you know, denouncing, denouncing him when he's wrong, right? I mean, let's just let's just, like, let's just talk up, you know, this, like... Very likable, incredibly popular guy when he agrees with us, you know that. Like, uh, so he would do these, he would do all these clips, like on the Majority Report on TMBS, like Rogan ranted about how bad Trump's immigration policies were, or you know Rogan, uh, you know, you know Rogan, the number
4: one
1: clip on TMBS yeah, was <laughs> Joe Rogan about Joe, about Biden saying this guy can't be president.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. no, totally. And I was just going to say, like, I, I it was actually a really striking example of this on. Um, so like last week I was a guest on, uh, on uh, crystal and Kyle and friends and, and uh, Kyle Kalinspie actually said on the show that since he has been on, on Rogan a few times, in fact, I believe, on election night 2020, Rogan's guests That's were Kyle, Kyle Kalinske and Alex Jones, which I can't even imagine what that conversation was like. But, that probably uh, was
1: fun, honestly.
0: Uh, but, uh, uh, but, yeah, and, and and, like, I don't know if you remember, like, a little while ago, there was that thing where Rogan said something incredibly stupid about paternity leave. Um that uh that he was like, is that's is you know, is it leave? You know, per Leave isn't that supposed to be for the person who gave birth, you know? Like why why should the dad get to you know and it was like really like dumb and reactionary? And I know a lot of people who did segments that were like, fuck Joe Rogan for saying that was the gist of the segment. And you know, whatever. But like Kalitsky actually said, like, when that happened, um they did a much gentler segment on it, you know, on on, uh, on that show. And then he was, like, texting with Rogan about it. And at a certain point, Rogan's like, you know what? You're totally right. Like, paternity leave is actually good. And, like... <laughs> yeah,
2: that's funny.
0: You know, that to me says guy who's, like, just kind of confused. Like, which, honestly, most people are because most ordinary people... Like, not to the extent that he is, don't get me wrong, people, you know, like, I don't think most people believe that, like, mine's invented cell phones, or whatever Joe Rogan probably believes. But, like, I think that, like, I think most people don't spend all of their time reading about politics and thinking about politics and talking about politics. They have pol- political reactions to things. They have political impulses, but they haven't necessarily like spent enough time with it in, you know, like, I mean, I think this easily describes like a third of the American public, right? You know, they haven't spent enough time, uh, probably a lot more than that, probably haven't spent enough time on it for those impulses and reactions to like really gel together into a coherent worldview. So like, yeah, they they are going to be like a little bit all over the place. And I guess my big thing is it's, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, David, off air, but like, I, I don't know, I don't know how you would think of this way of putting it, but it's like when, or at least related things. Like I guess I increasingly feel like if somebody's if like somebody who's just unambiguously an enemy says something really bad, like if mm-hmm. like you know Ben Shapiro says something, if you know whatever, uh, you know Amazon spokesman says something, and like if if uh you know if it's like Charlie Kirk or you know whatever, you know Joe Biden. You know, like somebody who's unambiguously an enemy says something ridiculous, then I'll like go at it like with with no you know whatever they on the values of Cobra Kai, right? You know, so, you know, strike strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Uh, but uh, but like if if anybody who I don't see that way says something ridiculous, like mm-hmm. I guess I I'm just tr- trying to get myself into more of a like hate the sin, love the sin review about it like I, I, I just think like you know like like especially like as somebody who I think might just be kind of confused or somebody who I think might even, like I think it, like or somebody who's even just like a leftist who has some shitty takes like mm-hmm. says something stupid then like I think it's almost always more productive to just like you know in what you say about it in public like argue against the take. But, like, oftentimes it's actually more useful if you just don't even don't even say the name of the person who had it.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm trying to th- I, I mean I, I think I mean I, that, I, that's definitely what I do as well. I mean I don't really spend too much time um, with our product left reckoning, getting worked about other people. I mean, like I know like you know, MR is like a big part of their thing, so like we do, I will say we do definitely like come at crowder and those guys from time to time mainly because it's just funny because those guys are goofy sure. as hell um
0: yeah and, and, you know, and, to I, be cl- and to be clear i think you should actually do that with steven crowder right you know, that's, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's correct
1: and, and all those and all those losers yeah, yeah. um on on the right um
2: yeah i mean i i
1: um i de- yeah i mean I, I definitely agree i i've been i've been doing a lot of you know door knocking phone banking lately and it's Mm -hmm. been um funny to sort of return um because i did that you know i've been doing that a long time and i did that before i did media stuff and it's funny because you remember like the things you they tell you to do when you knock on doors is one ask people what they care about Mm -hmm. (laughs) and talk to them about that and two like it's just not worth it to go negative um and like and like and again like this is like you know I'm trying to be careful with how we're saying this because it's like um, I think there's like kind of general principles that we can have um, as like people who do media yeah. and they're so different for people in general, if that makes sense. But, um,
0: you know, no, for basically, for, for sure. Knock on
1: doors, it's like, you know, a door knock is not a debate. Right. So if somebody tells you that yeah, they yeah. like this thing, you hate it. Right. Um, but you actually could still get that person to vote for you, you know, um, uh. or vote for your candidate. Like, you know, one thing that was so interesting, you know, we had two really big um, ballot propositions in Austin Um years. One of them was to appeal um, and then replace uh, a law on um, how the police interact with homeless people, essentially saying making camping illegal across the city. Right. Um, and the right wing got together and they, Raised a shitload of money and they had a winning coalition and they put in some of the most draconian anti homeless um, rules on the books in Austin. It's been absolutely horrible, right? Uh. Campaign against that. Um, but then again, um, you know, the next election cycle, um, those guys, that right wing group Save Austin Now, um, put together another really right wing bill to like just, you know, quadruple the police funding, right? In a really absurd way. And Austin, you know, uh, severely cut their police budget a couple of years back. Um, And when I was talking to people on the phone, it was so interesting to hear guys who were like, you know, I voted against, you know, I voted to reinstate the camping ban, Um, but Uh I feel like they've gone too far now. And like now I've completely, you know, I'm like donating money to the campaign to stop this from happening. And you got my vote. And I've been writing, I was telling this old guy, and he's like, I'm writing up a next door post right now. Yeah, yeah. about <laughs> Why people should vote against like campaign funding. And like, I'll tell you, cause like I get really personally, obviously, just on a human level, yeah. frustrated at anybody who would want to like encourage the police to beat the sure, shit of out course. of people. Um, and I, I will just say, like in my personal life, I've flipped out on people. But um, <laughs> When I've heard that they supported that, cause I just find that to be absolutely um, deplorable. But I guess what I'm saying is that like those are two different sides. Like that's my personal life, and like, look, sometimes you got to burn bridges with people in your personal life or whatever, or like have a fight. Um, but in my political life, it's like, dude, this guy is going to like support this campaign. I was just like, hell yeah, that's very interesting, and we moved on. Um, and and that guy, you know, helped prevent you know another travesty. Um, from happening, which would have been a hyper-increase in, in the police budget, right? I guess what I'm saying is it's just like, you know, being able to make those differentiate, like even think about like what Michael was saying about Joe Rogan, right? So yeah. like, oh, what we should do is we should pump him up when he says good things. You yeah. know? like That's a political calculation. You that's know what I mean? True. That's not disinterested at all. And I think having that brain, if you're thinking about these things as like a member of a political movement or as maybe a member of a media who's a part of a political movement, I think, yeah, you definitely have to think about these things in that way.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think, um and you know, again, I think there are contexts like, of, you know, in which I am happy to, you know, none of this stuff is absolute, right? You know, I know I'm just it's, trying it's, to be
1: careful because you and I are sound like we're these Buddhist, like you know, peace advocates, and it's
0: like, nah, man. I mean, you know, no, I mean, clearly, clearly not, right? I mean, like, yeah, you know, but like, you know, but I, I just think it's, I just think there's a question of like. Where you, um, you know, I mean, to my mind, the question isn't like attack people or don't attack people. The question is like, who is it most useful to attack, right? You know, that, that's yeah, exactly. uh, so, so I, I, and I also did want to say, you know, on uh, just to kind of footnote the thing about the camping bans that like I think there is something like a little bit, um, you know, complicated about this, not that like, I think, you know, police crackdowns of the homeless encampments, obviously I think that's despicable, but like, I I think that, I think that this is something where I think sometimes we really need to think hard about the politics of this because Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I think if it seems like what we're saying is that we want homeless people living in the park forever, that like, that's our solution. You know, I think that that's just not going to be a winner you know, with most people because for all, for all sorts of reasons, right. You know, like it's, uh, it's like, I think, you know, especially because, you know, there really are, you know, like Atacast Berry got God, trouble for some of this out, but i mean, like, it really is true, right. Like that there are, there's all kinds of like social maladies that like circle around those encampments, which is not to blame the people in there. I mean, they're victims, mm-hmm. but I mean like, you know, but it is just part of the reality. And, you know, if, um, and there are a lot of people who I don't think are intrinsically unwinnable, you know. Yeah. Who are like, you know, whatever. I mean, they're they're you know like working people who you know who could, you know, be convinced to support some kind of you know good left program. But like, who if you know they see like the park where they used to take their kids, right? You know that like somebody's shooting up at it or whatever. Like that that's they're going to have a reaction to that. That's not going to be good for us. And I think that like, I think. None of this is to say, yeah, you like, you know, we should like, you know, support the police, like going in there in this like heavy handed way. Obviously that's, that's grotesque. But like, I think that, I think it is to say that like every time we open up our mouths about this stuff, I think, I think the message always needs to be, look, it's incredibly cruel to just like let this fester and have people just like sleeping like out of the elements and prey to like violence and drug dealers and all kinds of things, you know. But also, this is a solution that's worse than the problem, right? I mean, like, what we want is for people to have, like, dignified permanent housing and, you know, mental health counseling in many cases, addiction services. And, like, in other words, like, like we need, um, you know, we, we don't, like, I think a lot of the debate about this stuff ends up being between this sort of, like, passive libertarian position of just, like, let things stay the way they are. And then this kind of like police state right wing position, you know, of like, well, you know, just like going there and arrest everybody. And I think we just need to like really like make the conversation more about the left wing position that it's like, no, we need like the state to spend a ton of money to act, to like actively help these people.
1: You know, and it, it, it's true. Like you know, Tyler Cowen, who I'm no fan of, a, a super right wing reactionary. Yeah. Um, you know, he wrote his book. I can't remember. It's something stupid. He wrote a he wrote a big like pop economics book in like 2000. Uh-huh. 11 or something. And, and you know, was, I can't remember what the name of it was, but I'm not on my computer or anything. But it's, uh, you know, it was something, you know, along the lines of like, you know, here are like some like, quick and easy solutions to solving big problems. And his, like, number, like his solution to the homeless crisis was to let Americans build shanty towns, right? <laughs> Which, like, most people can, like, understand is like an absolutely cruel position. Um, but, you know, you started to, to see people um, sort of. Like the the movement here was having a hard time, I think, and there's a lot of like reasons. So I don't want to actually make this too much about the the campaign. Sure, but sure. Essentially, what what ended up happening? I mean, just like some people aren't familiar, it's like this massive Republican organization just sort of came out of nowhere, uh-huh. um, pretended to be a, a nonpartisan organization ca- called Save Austin now. It's but it um, it's nonpartisan, man. But it you know just happens to be headquartered in the Travis County GOP headquarters. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, um, you know, what ended up happening was like, you know, obviously, like the, the plan to, um, you know, arrest people has been brutal for homeless folk. I mean, you know, they've been finding people out in the woods around town. Um, you know, and like the thing about the, the, the previous system when there wasn't a camping ban was that like the problem was in front of everybody's face. Right. People didn't like that. Um, and then we, while the people like Greg Cassar and, you know, other progressive members were trying to get funding, Things It's like, you know, the city government is pretty weak um, in its ability compared to the federal government, for example, to deal with the housing crisis. So what I'm saying is that, like, you know, like the campaign was difficult because, um, you know, people don't like to see, as you were saying earlier, you know, some of these things. Um, But obviously it's like a huge moral, um, you know, disaster to to people up like that. And, you know, this is like and I, I agree with you in the sense of like this is like trying to understand why people are thinking or supporting something. Instead of just like, uh-huh. oh, these guys are all bad. Right. Um, saying like, well, no, people were just voting against something that they found to be uncomfortable. Right. Um, and that could be that could be a personal moral failing. Right. Um, but us as a political movement, we have to find a way to like have a message or an idea that is more galvanizing to people. Because, yeah, I think a lot of people did feel that they were voting against reinforcements reimposing a camping ban that essentially you were voting for just like, you know, this being the permanent state of affairs forever. Um, you know, when, you know, what we were trying to articulate people was like, no, the plan is to like really re up our commitment to affordable and public housing. Um, yeah. and it's tr- it, you know, anyways, like, no, yeah, no I mean, I like, think, that's I... like that's the political calculation that you have to be able to make that. I think even some people who, so people who were campaigning against the camping ban, I think sometimes, couldn't get past the like, don't be an asshole. Like that was like a, a kind of like un not by everybody, but by some folks. A, a, you know, part of the political campaign was like, don't be an asshole. It's like you know that works for some people, but that's not that's not going to win. Yeah, um, yeah,
0: you yeah. know exactly. Uh, before we, I want to take the last couple of calls quickly, but uh, but I do. Yep. Um, but before we let Jack go, uh, I, I actually could you also send me that that like uh, the information about that podcast that you were talking about? So, yeah, we'll
2: do it. Yes,
4: yeah. yes, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, will. Okay, yeah, I, I really <laughs> want to see that. And also, we're doing a um, uh, GTA. We're doing a crossover episode with the, uh, the the Valley Labor Report in a couple weeks to um, nice. uh, debunk some anti union like cartoons and stuff. It'd be good to throw in some of that. So, be sure right. to do it. That.
2: Yeah. That'd be useful.
0: Okay, uh, let's uh, let's do uh, Antonio.
2: Hey, thanks. Uh, I'll try to be brief. Uh, basically, uh, going back to what you guys were talking about a little while ago, uh, you know, it strikes me that one of the things that, just based on conversations I had, uh, both with you know friends and family and uh, during phone banks and uh, uh, oh god, I forgot the word. I forgot the word for it. I guess just knocking on doors. Uh, canvassing. Sorry. That's the word. Um, canvassing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it struck me that one of the biggest obstacles to get, seems to be to get people to even consider, uh, to seriously consider any changes to capitalism as like a, any kind of a viable, viable, uh, path since a lot of the time it seems like the well, like the Gramscian interpretation of common sense, actually seems to be pretty well uh, supported by a lot of the assumptions people seem to be making in their think in their political thinking, and you know it's oftentimes reinforced with the way that information is presented. So I guess my pre- my question is, you know, how would we? If, do you think if I if I am if I'm not you know off base here, how would we overcome this sort of yeah, David?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things. Like, there's internal and external, right? Internally, I think the left, the social left in this country, people got into socialism because of Bernie Sanders. Uh, this is not coming at anybody personally, but we have just done a bad job at doing political education. Um, I, I, I I say this to Ben all the time, and it, it is, I'm going to try to make this as precise and, and concise as possible because it can't go in a million different ways. But, like, you know, one thing you hear a lot from folks on the left in the U.S. is, like, you know, we like there's a there's a kind of common sense understanding of why Bernie Sanders lost, for example, in 2016, 2020. Um, and it was uh, we didn't have enough independent media. Right. And you see it and like there's even some platforms <laughs> out there who like that's like they're saying, you know,
0: I just want to I just want to interrupt you to say, I think we could all agree that if, if we do, if we, if we have a sober look at the 2020 election, our yeah. main <laughs> problem was that we didn't have enough podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, know, like,
2: podcaster.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like, again, like I'm a part of independent media and I do think it's important, but like, this is one of those things where it's like, that's a lack of like understanding as to what happened. Right? No doubt. If we had more people consuming a kind of left media versus like a centrist media or whatever, um, that would probably be beneficial. But the reason that Bernie Sanders loses at 16 of 20 on there are two even different experiences. But the reasons that he loses is just like, you know, we have just mass amounts of alienation, complete disorganization of the working class and the left. Um, and he's running within the Democratic Party, which is just like by design, you know, set up to prevent any kind of not just like left socialists, like literally the Democratic Party structures were designed to prevent anybody who wasn't sort of selected, you know, by the um by the party bosses, right? This is why they had the entire superdelegate system, right? And all that got exposed because they had already put in the safeguards um, to prevent any kind of populist movement from coming into power, right? Let alone a socialist movement. Um, And again, so you have a a lot of people who think that it's like, oh, we didn't have enough independent media, right? And to me, it's like, okay, well, that means that, you know, this is myself and other people's like, there just has not been like that kind of like socialist political education um, that's needed and I also you have to see it too within the Bernie Sanders movement how it's fragmented every which way and you have these kind of like really absurd movements that are popping up but like d- dude I mean we had this moment where everybody was sort of together and communicating for a little bit and we did not make things clear enough for people I think that's a, a real loss. so that's the internal um, critique you know the external critique like getting past like you know these different consciousness that people have I mean, you know, there, there isn't one silver bullet here. I think um, going back to the basics is to understand that, like, we all have a million different um, identities, right? And different things that communities and collectives that we sort of consider ourselves to be a part of. Um, you know, like, <laughs> I'm a Texan, I'm a Longhorns fan. But, you know, my neighbor um, is a Texan and loves, like, you know, uh, LSU, right? Because they have a connection there. Um, and, you know, we have a, like we just have like a million kind of different collectives and communities that we're a part of. Right. And some of those can be very reactionary, like, you know, white nationalist reactionaries, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and some of them can be, you know, oh, I'm a, I'm an educated person. You know, these are the kind of folks that I hang out. These are the restaurants and the bars that I go and socialize. in, And that affects your thinking. Right. And the point is that there's just like this is going back to Gramsci stuff like there's a million of those out there. Um, and and for the most part, they're extremely incoherent. Inco- um, and like the goal of socialist politics is that the one thing that we do have is we have a, a potential political identity, a way of understanding ourselves in the world, which is being a member of the working class, right? Um, somebody who like we have to sell our labor to survive. Um, and that's a class that has, you know, historical roots um, and that can transcend all of our different kind of cultural, you know, regional differences um, that that we have. And it's not just that in itself is just going to self like materialize on its own. Um, But this has the potential to just eradicate um, all of those other things. It's like I think understanding that like when we're trying to make media, when we're trying to do political conversations with folks, understand that like you know you and i are not the same people right and we don't even think the same thing on a lot of other things but we do have a, a similar reality right where it's like <laughs> you have to work for somebody else they're um they're, they're taking way more um home at the end of the day than you are um even though you're the one who's producing all of that value for them right finding ways to communicate those ideas uh, with people is um is like really the kind of on the ground work that we have to do in our communities And like i guess what i'm saying is like there is no like media handbook strategy that we're we're gonna be able to have. But like having the kind of political understandings as to why we're doing what we're doing, and why the potential of what we're doing, like why what we're doing, like has the potential to work is like really going back um, to those those basics. And, you know, I mean, it's not easy, just because we understand it doesn't mean that it's easy. But I, I do think that, you know, you <laughs> have some people playing like, you know, 5d chess, sometimes thinking like okay you know especially like the 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 people who have now gone into like the hyper like left reactionary mode you know those folks are like well we need to do left populism with like social reaction right like one that's just an absurd and i think immoral position to take but two like you're playing too many games in your head that if you think you just have the right (laughs) media packet for your your politician you'd be able to overcome you know (laughs) like the very serious material hurdles that we have for winning power
0: yeah no, I think that's exactly right. I, I think that, um, I think that the I, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I do think that oftentimes the left does suffer from having very bad branding. I don't agree with those people you're talking about, but like, you know, like, like, <laughs> like, I do think that we should think more about optics. I mean, obviously, I spend a lot of my time thinking about like what sorts of things we should emphasize and how we should do it just because, like, that's Absolutely. what I, you know, that's what I do, but like, also, I think if we're going to have a real conversation about, like, why, for example, Bernie lost in 2020, it's not mostly going to be about that, right? Some of it's going to be about yeah. that, but it's not mostly going to be about that. Like, mostly what it's going to be about is that, like, the actual forces on the ground, like, they were a lot stronger than us, right? They're, you know, like, there are there are more of them, and we don't have, you know, like we don't have like the kind of organized working class that's like the base of every successful socialist movement ever, you know, and, and left project of any kind, or even like, even like liberal, like left liberal project of any kind. I mean, like, like the, the mm-hmm. new deal the great society wouldn't have happened, you know, without, without like um, a lot, you know, without the level of worker organization that you, that you had there for all sorts of reasons. And, and, and that I'm was thinking,
1: a decades long project too.
0: Exactly. Right. So it's like, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're playing within the Democratic Party, like primaries, that is a game that is, by design, right, is very, like, it's going to be a massive uphill battle, right? You know, because it's mm-hmm. all, the terrain is all set up for them. And even in, like, I'm not even just talking about stuff like superdelegates. Like, it just, like, having that, like, selection procedure that, like, you have every state has it, you know, has it's like, Oh, like that you have like these things called democratic primaries. That's not just like France where the whole country has an election and then the top two vote getters go on to the next round. But like yeah. that you're voting in party primaries that already selects for voters who are more likely to identify with like the democratic party as a brand, which is obviously not good for us. And the fact <laughs> that every state has a primary caucus, like it's all randomly like strewn around the calendar. Uh, mm-hmm. is like selects for like more middle-class voters because uh and i'm not talking about you know i'm not even saying majorities i'm just saying disproportionately right like um yeah. because you know you people who are a little bit more plugged in or whatever are more likely to to even be aware of what day the primary is you know in their state like <laughs> i mean i i spent like you know i mean i spent a day like, just before the Nevada caucus in 2020, like, I flew in, uh like, a couple of days before, and I spent a day, like, uh with some Bernie people, you know, canvassing cab drivers on the Vegas Strip. And that's, like, very Bernie-friendly territory as far as those voters go. Uh And, you know, in fact, ultimately, the kind of, like, the demographics there, I mean, very much represent why he ended up winning. But, like, other than the fact, and, like, it's funny, too, because, like, all the cab drivers on the Vegas Strip that I talked to, everybody either was like a Bernie person or like a Trump person. Like those were the only, you know, like like those, those were, yeah. you know, nobody, like if there's, if there's like a cab driver in Vegas, who's like super enthusiastic.
1: I would like to meet, I would like to meet the cab driver who's really in a booted yeah. <laughs> Like there's that. You
4: know. <laughs> that
0: is exactly the example I was going to use. Yeah, no, exactly. So, but like out of the people who are, you know, out of people who were into Bernie, like, uh, like the number one reason that, like, we couldn't get a commitment for them to caucus for him was that they didn't register because they didn't even know there was, like, a caucus yeah. coming up that day, right? So it's, like, incredibly hostile territory. And, you know, which is not to say that we couldn't win. It's just, like, it's just really hostile territory. Don't get me wrong. Like, the third-party thing, like, the game is even more rigged against that, you know, but, like... Yeah. I, I just think, like, if you're going to win in this incredibly hostile territory then then realistically like i mean you just need to have like this kind of grassroots backbone to your movement that we just did not have built up in 2020 i mean if anything it's amazing how close we came despite that right you know but like yeah it it just didn't it just didn't exist on the level that it would need to for there to be like a you know a very solid chance you know of that uh, of that happening
1: and, and, you know, I love, I love Bernie and, and everything that he did. Um, you know, it's, it's really I'm not, I'm not one of those people who's dogging him now that, that he's lost, but I'm going to tell you two things. You know, he said something that was the correct analysis, but was so absurd. Uh-huh. I thought during the 2020 campaign, um, which was that, and this is so, I talk about this a lot on, on our program, a Left Reckoning, you know, particularly learning, um, you know th- this lesson from socialist history which is that like st- once you get into state power like that's where the real revolution um begins because you know we're so far away from that um currently um you know that we think that that's like the the victory but like man you know there's been you know you've got Mitterrand, you got syriza um you know we we had a leader of you know the labor party um you know for years and years um and years right Who was just constantly being attacked both within the party apparatus and the state apparatus. And the point is, is to under, like, and this is something that Bernie Sanders would say, it's like, when I come into power, y'all are going to have to go out into the streets and like, you know, use social pressure to make sure the things that we want to happen happen. Because I just I can't like it's not going to be possible um, for him to do that, and that's hundred percent true. Because that's how state power works, right? right? Like we're talking about the Democratic Party stuff, but like in turn, like even if you get into the state, um, you know there there is an autopilot. I mean, like you know, Trump absolute monster, and you know all these people are like, well, Trump's really going to shake things up at least, right? <laughs>
2: if he gets in office, <laughs> which is a
1: bullshit position to have. But, you know, the thing that's amazing about Trump is that, like, it was like autopilot Republican administration politics for the most part with a little Trumpian theater. Right. And it was because the the state really Mm -hmm. operated on its own, Um, you know, even even didn't matter um, who was really sitting there. I mean, especially when it comes to foreign policy. Um, So the point is, like, that internal fight within the state is going to take a lot of effort. And Bernie was right to say um that you know we need to have the movement to do it but you know the thing that's sort of frustrating I'll say to you Ben uh. Uh, about Bernie uh, is that like okay you know that but like why has there been no real effort on your part um to help build that And i know we we've asked a lot of him but it, it's, it truly, to me, is endlessly frustrating that all we've got out of this has been our revolution, which I know they do some you know good campaign works, and I'm sure people listening to yeah, us sure are even members. But it's like, you know, that's not when we're talking about a grassroots movement that's going to be able to make sure that we have yeah. state power. That's not it. And like, you know, it's very frustrating to me because I think only Bernie could bring us into that organization, um, you know, and, and to start to lay the, the seeds there. You know, we're trying on some level to do it within DSA, but... You know, it's, I mean, if Bernie would tell people to join that organization, for example, I think that would be massive. Um, no, but, I, you know, I, he, I has, he hasn't done that. I think it's the same, you know?
0: No, I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, I think that, um, you know, what I like is that he has done something that very few left politicians really do to anything like the same extent, which is to consistently use his position to uh, talk up strikes and, uh, yeah. and organize the drives. Uh, I think that's really important. I also like, I know some people have different takes on this, whatever, but I like the fact that he's constantly tweeting out like boilerplate things about how bad economic inequality is on his Twitter account. Like I, I yeah, not that's no, great, yeah. right? You know, because like, I, I think that's like, yeah, you want to like push that message every time you possibly can. But yeah, I, I think, right. So I think the Bernie campaign like made tons of mistakes. Um, we could sit here for two hours and talk about those. I've I've spent way too much time thinking about it since then. <laughs> but like I and and so all of them, all of the mistakes hurt them. But also, I don't think that all of the mistakes even put together are the main reason that he lost. And mm-hmm. and the the main reason is organization. And I agree. I think that Bernie's whole strategy, you know, like throughout his elect his career in electoral politics, really since he left the Liberty Union Party of Vermont, you know, has been something that makes sense in terms of like him getting into office so he can do good and important things, which he has, but there's really very little of an eye on like building a broader movement. And I think that in some ways, you know, that, that was the bitter fruit of it. But I guess yeah. the last thing I want to bring up before I let you go and I go, you know, peel some peppers. is <laughs> that, uh, Yeah. You know, while we're talking about Bernie, um, I do want to, I do want to give the man credit for something really important that came out today. Which is that he has this uh, op-ed uh, that came out uh, in uh, in the Guardian uh, called uh, it's uh, what's the the headline is we must do everything possible to avoid an enormously destructive war in Ukraine uh, that mm-hmm. that just came out this afternoon and it's and it's just so fucking refreshing to read something by somebody with his level of prominence saying this because it's just like. Like, this should just be, like, the minimum standard of sanity. That, like... Thank you know.
1: God, man. Like, you know, I hate to open up a can of worms, but the Ukraine thing um, has been... I, I've texted you about this. It's just been so utterly depressing for me to watch. Just the inability of some people within even our movement to sort of reckon with what's going on there. Um, yeah, thank you, Bernie.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like, Eddie, he, he just, like... Yeah, I, I think I think they I think the opposite
1: puppet. I I didn't see that he did that, but <laughs> like Lord in Evan, you know how crazy that made all the liberals. <laughs> I'm like, sure I'm sure it obsessed. did. Bernie once again taking orders from the Kremlin.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is because, like there have been a couple times that I've gone on like uh uh RT or the uh the uh you know Radio Sputnik and I always like I always fuck around with it like when I'm just like around the house, like, talk, like talking to Jed and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to go talk to the Kremlin <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> like, like I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a character of the Americans, right. I'm going to do, do my communication with the Kremlin, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Like he, and, and like, he makes all the right distinctions. That's like, look, you can think that Putin is horrible, which he is. And he says yeah. this in the op-ed, but like also like if, if Russia were not run by this, like right wing authoritarian leader, uh, there would still be an issue about like a milita- an anti-Russian military alliance being expanded to the border of Russia. Like, of course there would be. What would you know? What do you like? You know, like don't be ridiculous, right? Like, and and so a lot of this again is just very basic common sense stuff about like how you know we need to de-escalate the crisis and like why, like the sort of like narratives about it. in The U.S. media are kind of ridiculous and you know whatever that like this should just be like the default and like and like people who say you know, like, people who say, like, oh, we should be, like, prepared to, like, go to war with Russia. Over and, you know, he even makes the point in it. He even makes the point in the op-ed that, like, of how hypocritical it is for the United States with its history of asserting the Monroe Doctrine to, um, yeah. to like, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get on this high horse about, you know, Russia and the Ukraine. So, uh, so I would recommend everybody check that out and share it with every liberal you know. Uh, like
1: yeah, that sounds good. Also, send Broncos pieces on it. I think those have been just phenomenal, as most of it, as all, all of his writing is. Broncos. No, I,
0: yeah, huge Bronco fan. Uh, yeah, he he actually had a piece in the Washington Post about that, which is really good to see. And it's just again so insane. Like if you think about how close the United States, you know, back then the Soviet Union came to, um, like a world-ending war, like various times in the twentieth century like just how cavalier people are being about the prospect of an actual shooting war with Russia that American troops... It's
1: so... I know, like, you know, not to bait you, man, but you were on the other side of the Soviet Union in the sense that, like, that was a real fear that people had. Um, and it's sort of crazy to, to you know, that people are, 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 are playing that game again. Uh, my big line on Putin, by the way, too, is that, like, if you think that, um, you know, if you don't... Putin, right? Oppose uh, any kind of you know, because
0: of America, that country
1: you know, like is the
0: American Democrat. Okay, you're you you breaking up a lot there. Who comes?
1: Oh shit! Sorry. Um, I was just saying, um, you know, if you don't like Putin, yeah. you know, the line is, then you should oppose any American intervention in Russia. Putin is 100% a critter that came out of American intervention in, in that country. America puts their boot on the democratic process in Russia. And, oh, wow, is it surprising that an anti-democratic strongman rose up Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he was system. he was literally
0: <laughs> the I mean, he was literally the hand-pointed successor to Yeltsin who the United States openly meddled with the Russian election to make sure that Yeltsin was re-elected. So, you know, good job, guys. Um, yeah. No, exactly. And also, like, you know, also, I would just just to like add on to that point. Right. Like, I don't know. I mean, like you know, you don't want some country to uh, you know, if you want the downfall of some like super nationalistic leader in some country, like creating the impression that there's a grave military threat to that country is probably not a good strategy uh, yeah. for, for bringing that about. But anyway, uh, I really do need to go. Uh, thank yeah. you so much, David. Everybody should check out his show left reckoning. Uh, Yeah, Do you mind
4: if
1: I
0: plug tomorrow? Please, please. Yep.
1: Uh, We got we're having Mike Prisoner on Uh, Mike Prisoner, incredible anti-war journalist and socialist um, of the Empire Files will be joining us to talk about Russia, Ukraine, um, anti-war politics, American um, horrible what's going on in Hawaii uh, with the U.S. military bases essentially poisoning the water. Um, and uh, his uh, wife, Abby Martin's uh, run in with uh, Georgia over this uh, BDS law. So you'll want to check that out. And we also have an interview with uh, Andrew Harrison, um, who's a really, really one of my favorite political interviews I've done with the candidate. Um, we'll be releasing that tomorrow. He's running for justice of the peace here in Austin with a very radical democratic socialist vision. And you'll get to hear from uh, my boy, Matt Lack, too. So um, be sure to nice. check that out. Nice.
0: Yeah. That all sounds fantastic. Uh so people should check out everything that's coming up on Left Reckoning. Um I should say GTA is uh since we do Monday nights, uh so we're not doing a show next Monday night because I would get in trouble. Uh yeah, but <laughs> um but we are doing one of course on the twenty uh twenty first. Uh gonna get everybody who wrote Myth and Mayhem, the uh, the book about Peterson to come back and do a little <laughs> update, you know about how our boy is um, doing i'm a little worried about him you know he, he seems erratic but uh all of that should be really good uh and um yes yeah, so uh we will be uh i don't even remember who we have coming up but we're gonna do another one of these here on thursday at the same time uh thank you david thank you everybody left is best